The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. We pass by this house every year. It sits on a hill somewhere out in the land of Canaan, rotting. Oh, there's something very wrong with this house. The walls are marked with streaks of green and red, corroding into the plaster and spreading. And then the door bursts open, and the owner of the house suddenly comes out looking agitated. We see him run to the priest and say, in a string of uncertain words, Kanega nirali babait. Something like a plague has appeared before me in my house. What is it? He has no idea. Something. Something like a plague. Rashi tells us that even if he's a scholar who knows that certainly it is a plague, he does not render judgment with a definite statement. Lo yusak davar barur. Because this doesn't seem real. It simply appeared before him like some kind of phantom. So he can't exactly trust what he sees. Who's to say what this is? But the Torah tells us explicitly, this is the plague of Tzarat, leprosy. Or at least we often translate it as leprosy because it usually manifests as some kind of skin disease. But this can't be the leprosy we know about today because We've seen it also attack clothing, infesting it with those same streaks of green and red. And now, a house. But how can a house have a disease? And yet, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like this house is dying. So the priest will tell him to put this house out of its misery. They'll wait and watch for seven days and then... If the plague continues to spread, the priest will order the stones with the plague in them to be pulled out and cast outside the city to a place of impurity. So now the house is gone. It's just a pile of rocks festering out on the edge of town. What happened here? The old rabbis have their various theories, but one thing they all tend to agree on, this was no earthly force. The Ramban says that explicitly. This is not in nature at all, and it's not from this world. But when one of us sins, then some ugliness erupts on their skin, or on their clothes, or on their house, to show that God has turned away from them. But if this was meant as a punishment, what did the owner of the house do to deserve it? There are surely sins that 
happen every day and cause no plague to erupt. What kind of crime has its sentence carried out on a piece of cloth or a wall? Rebbeinu Bachia has a theory. This, he says, this was someone who kept his house only for himself. He refused to lend his belongings out and he never welcomed guests inside. And so the plagues came to attack his stinginess. Oh, he thought he could keep it all to himself, clutching his precious possessions holed up inside his house. So God tore his house down, measure for measure. It's a lesson we see running throughout the Bible in the freeing of the slave or the sabbatical resting of the land. There is no real property. The earth belongs to the Lord. You try too hard to hoard things to yourself and you will eventually have them ripped away from you. But Rashi tells a different version of this story and manages to put a positive spin on the destruction of the house. He suggests that the miser was in the house long before we ever got there. This is good news when the plagues come, he says. Because the Amorites hid gold treasures in the walls of their houses all 40 years that Israel was in the desert. And as a result of the plague, the owner breaks down the house and finds them. Oh, hidden treasure. What we thought was a punishment turns out to be a reward. In an unexpected stroke of divine justice, the righteous man who seems to have lost his house is suddenly rich. This plague was actually a jackpot. Oh, it's all so exciting. But this just feels too easy. Is this really the way God shows affection? By leading us to gold? Was the journey into the promised land really just kind of some kind of treasure hunt? Even if we were willing to embrace that kind of shallow moral message, it still wouldn't make sense of the larger phenomenon of Tzarat. Because what about the affliction of the clothes or the skin? And surely we won't be finding buried treasure under our own withering flesh. No, the legend of Amorite gold is a fun fantasy, but ultimately the Torah is pushing us to confront the fact that this plague is meant for us. We turn then, finally, to a powerful piece by the great Kliakar, a favorite of ours on this podcast, who tries to come to terms with, with this responsibility of ours by giving us a larger conceptual framework for understanding all of the Tsarat plagues. Tedavataskil, he says, you must know and understand that these three types of Tsarat afflict three different things because these are the three coverings that a person has. The first covering is the skin of their flesh. On top of that are their clothes, which cover their skin. And on top of them is their house, which covers them completely and protects them from the wind and the rain. And one who has all of these coverings removed from them is considered wild and exposed. Parua megule. Therefore, the plague of the skin is mentioned first, and then the plague of the clothes, and finally, 
the plague of the house, in order to remove all of their coverings, one by one, until they are completely wild and exposed. These plagues are devastating, but according to the Kliakar, they're not meant as a punishment exactly. They're God's way of slowly, methodically breaking down all the barriers we have that keep us at a distance from the world. We move about in society, playing out a role, amassing possessions and accomplishments. We wear nice clothes, carefully selected to project an image of style or wealth, modesty or beauty, as if these were our essential traits. We try to present an impressive, invincible self to the world, and we hope that we are convincing. And then we run home, lock the door, and only there, behind the cover of the walls, are we left alone with our true selves. But even then, we have our masks. You look in the mirror and see a face. Is that really you? Are you just your skin, your flesh? Or is there something more to you? Where is the essential self? What are we when everything is stripped away? If we took off all of our coverings, what would we find? It wouldn't be hidden gold, that much is certain. Not our money or our success. Not our intelligence, our charisma, or our beauty. Forget about where you live, what you wear, or what you look like. None of that matters. When you are finally and completely exposed, what is waiting inside, at the core of your being? Who are you really? That is the question that haunts us. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.